Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Have you ever been in a sticky situation that you wish you had the power to get out of? Like your wife cooks you this incredible dinner, and she asks you, did you like it? And out of your mouth, before you even know what you said, you said no. And you are hoping that somehow, some way, you wish you had the power to turn back time so that you could stop what came out of your mouth. You were just being honest. And now you have found yourself to be in a sticky situation that you wish you had the power to get out. But what's amazing is that in Mark chapter 15, Jesus finds himself in a very sticky situation and he is going to use the situation by the power of the Holy Spirit to turn it around for God's glory. Take a look. It's Mark chapter 15, verse 1. Immediately... This is after the hearing of the, tri- uh, of the trial that went through Jesus the, the night. Immediately in the morning, that means the early morning, the chief priest, they held a consultation with the elders and scribes. And the whole council, the whole Sanhedrin came together and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. The leaders of the Jewish nation They met early in the morning to put Jesus officially on trial because the hearing at night was illegal. They had to wait until the sacrifice of the burnt offering to convene their session. And there, very early in the morning, when the burnt offering was offered in the temple, they convened the Supreme Court to hold the hearing officially and officially convict Jesus of a condemnable crime. Now, they did this so early in the morning that nobody was up. And the reason that they did it so early was that they wanted to do it in, in a way that would accomplish it, the task with the least resistance. They didn't want the disciples of Jesus to cause any kind of commotion. And the whole Sanhedrin, all three groups of the Sanhedrin had gathered together, made up the chief priests, made up of the elders, and made up the scribes. Now, let me tell you something about these guys. They didn't like each other. Nor did they get along, but they had found a common enemy in Jesus, and they came together to destroy him. And in the same way, we have three, oh, not chief priests, not elders and scribes, but we have three things that are against us because they've come together against the common enemy of Christ in us. The hope of glory. You know the first one. His name is El Diablo. The devil. He's a formidable foe. And he hates believers. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that he's known as the red dragon because he is bent on devouring the people of God. The devil. The second. The second of the three is the world. John lets us know that the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. Now, anti doesn't mean against. It means counterfeit. This is everything that counterfeits Jesus in the world system to deceive people, even believers, to follow the world. Let me give you an example. A counterfeit love that offers, per, that offers perversions to suit every appetite you may have. A counterfeit love. A counterfeit faith. A counterfeit faith in a system that sways away from anything that represents God. So we were not created, we evolved, says the world. A counterfeit hope in the temporal. A counterfeit hope in the material to blind us from the eternal that really matters. That is the world and it is against us. But there's one more. And this one, the flesh. The flesh. 
that war that rages internally within us in making us choices as to whether we will honor God or not. You see, the flesh represents in us anything that does not look like Christ. Paul gives us an example in Galatians chapter 5. Now, maybe if you've got a sheet of paper, you write down the ones that, well, uh, you struggle with. Let's take a look. These are the works of the flesh, which are, he says, they're evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. Now, I don't know if you've checked any off yet. It's not a good sign. It could mean you're operating in the flesh. And some of you will go, well, I don't have a little idol in my home. My question is, did you buy a new car? How many times have you washed it and vacuumed it and waxed it? How much time do you spend on it as compared to the Lord? Idolatry, sorcery, Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you were (coughs) taking a list and checking it twice, I wonder... Are any of these a part of your life? Don't raise your hand. It's not necessarily a good thing. Because this is the flesh. And let me tell you something about the flesh. Your spirit is willing. But your flesh is weak. If you choose to feed your spirit like you're doing here on a Sunday afternoon, you're going to find that your spirit is going to grow and your flesh is going to starve. But if you feed your flesh, you're going to find that your flesh is going to grow and you're going to find yourself envious and angry and filled with wrath as compared to love and joy and peace, the flesh. And in the same way, The chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they bound the Lord and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. You better believe that the three against us, the devil, the world, and the flesh, have the same goal. You see the devil? The devil longs to tempt us to sin so that we are bound up with addictions. That's the devil. It's what he loves to do. The world... The world loves nothing better than to lead us astray. And they always mingle a little bit of truth in it so that it deceives us to go their way. And the flesh? Oh, let me tell you about the flesh. The flesh loves to be fed. It's like when you go on a diet for two days and someone brings you chocolate chip cookies and you think you deserve them. I've been on a diet for two days. Someone say amen. That's the, don't say amen to that. It's the flesh. That's the flesh. Yet don't be mistaken. Even though it appears that the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders were in control, leading Jesus to the cross, Jesus makes it very clear that he's in control. Take a look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus, a year before Mark 15, a year before, he says this in Mark chapter 10, Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes. That's Judas. It happened. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. That's what's happening in Mark chapter 15. And they'll mock him and scourge him spit on him, kill him, and the third day he will rise again. You see, though it appears that the Sanhedrin is winning this particular battle, you need to know that the Lord was very well aware that this was going to happen a long time before it did, and the Lord was strategically accomplishing God's will and winning the war, even though it seemed like he was losing the battle. You see... The chief priests and the scribes and the elders were not the ones that were binding Jesus. It was his love for us that bound him. It was his love for us that led him into this trial. It was his love for us that delivered him to Calvary. He did it bound by love. And I want to prove it to you. Oh, I'm not going to tell you. 
I'm going to let Jesus tell you from the red letters in John's gospel. You see, Pilate, he thought he was in control. And Pilate says to Jesus, are, are you not going to speak to me? Like, I'm asking you some questions here, bub. Are you not speaking to me? And then he throws out his power card and he says, do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Look at the mic drop moment of Jesus. He says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. You know what Jesus is saying? You're not in control. I am. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. This is a mic drop moment of Jesus. And I need to tell you something about the foes of Jesus. They looked like they were in control, but they actually weren't. And I want to tell you something about the devil and the world and the flesh. These three seem to have power, but the only power they have is what we give to them. It's the only power that the devil has. It's the only power the world has. It's the only power that the flesh had. Before we go any further, I think I need to introduce to you this man called Pilate. He was the governor of Israel. You see, Pilate was not a friend of the Jews, and the Jews were not a friend of him. In fact, Luke tells us a little interest into uh, Pilate's life. Take a look at how he treated the Jews. There were present at the season, this is a current event in the life and the ministry of Jesus, some who told him about the Galileans whose blood, he killed them, Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. They came to the temple to worship, and Pilate had them murdered. Pilate, he was a ruthless governor who despised his post in Israel. So much so, he put a picture of Caesar up on Temple Mount. You're not allowed to have any graven image on Temple Mount. It so enraged the Jews that it caused a riot. But that wasn't it. Then he stole from the temple funds to build an aqueduct, a Roman project. This caused another huge riot from the Jews. So much so that Rome, Caesar, wrote him a letter. Hey, Pilate, three strikes, you're out. One more riot in Israel, and I'm moving you from this post. Because Pilate was demanded to live by Roman law. And the Jews knew this. Because the Jews were subjugated to Roman law as well. And over the night in Mark chapter 14, the Jews had found Jesus guilty and they wanted him dead. But they had no right under Roman law to execute Jesus. He had to be tried under Roman law in order for him to be executed. And the Jews knew that if they went to Pilate and they said, well, he called himself the son of God, so could you please execute him? Pilate would laugh them out of the court. So Luke, in Luke chapter 23, he tells us they came up with three accusations. They met all night to figure out how could we cause a political uprising in with Pilate so that he realizes that Jesus needs to die. Oh, I know. We'll accuse him of perverting the nation. In other words, let's accuse him of turning Israel from Rome. Good one. Yeah. But the second accusation was this. Let's accuse Jesus of telling the people not to pay taxes to Caesar. And let me tell you something. When you touch someone's pocketbook, you touch their heart. Thirdly, if none of the other two got him, they came up with the accusation, Jesus calls himself a king. And that would put him in a rivalry with Caesar himself. These were the accusations that they came against Jesus. They concocted a case politically in order to destroy Jesus. This is a tricky situation. And what we're going to do is we're about to watch Jesus navigate this tricky situation to turn this whole thing around to accomplish God's will for his life. Let's take a look. Mark chapter 15, verse 2. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. Pilate's confused. I need you to imagine the scene. When any prisoner came into the courtroom of Pilate, 
They were usually begging and pleading for their life. They were usually hurling insults. They were usually mocking. They were usually spitting. They were usually criminals. Anyone that made it to Pilate, that's how they would come in to the courtroom pleading for their lives. Usually they were chained. Usually they were guarded because they didn't want the prisoner to escape. And even though Jesus was bound and he was guarded, our meek and mild Savior peacefully walked into that courtroom as a lamb being led to the slaughter as if he had no idea what was about to happen. And this caught Pilate's eye because Jesus was different. And he looked at him and he goes, I've heard all the accusations. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds with affirmation. You say what is true. And if you're taking note, maybe you'll write it down. When our enemy brings accusation, he brings affirmation. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't answer yes. He doesn't answer no. He doesn't attack his accusers. He doesn't even defy Pilate's authority. No, he boldly, he humbly, and confidently answers with affirming the truth of who he is and what he stands for. He says, it's as you say. In other words, what he's saying, what you're saying is true. And church, listen, as the body of Christ, we would do well to follow the example of Jesus when the enemy comes at us with all of his accusations because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Let the church say amen. You see, when the enemy brings, affir- when the enemy brings accusation, we need to bring affirmation. Church, listen. Affirm your position in Christ as the Lord affirms his position as the King of Kings. I'm going to show you the amount of power that you actually have. Take a look at Revelation 12. This is a scene in heaven, and the devil is going to be cast out of heaven in Revelation chapter 12. No longer is he allowed to have any communication with God. And in Revelation 12, take a look. Then I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven, now salvation, keep that word in mind, And strength, keep that word in mind, and the kingdom of our God and the power, keep that word in mind, of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, speaking of the devil, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him. They had victory. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their lives to the death. In other words, they didn't care if they died or not because they knew they got Jesus. They knew they got heaven. And there are three things in this text that we need to see and affirm in our faith. And the first is this, you are saved. You have salvation. The devil doesn't own you anymore. So when he comes at you with condemnation and temptation, you tell him, you don't rule me anymore. I follow Jesus. I'm saved. I'm covered by the blood of the lamb. I don't have to give in to you anymore. I can choose to walk in the newness of life because the next word that was there is, you have strength. You've got the the strength of the Lord God Almighty, his spirit in you. You can have victory over the world. So when the world wants to sway you away and lead you astray, you can stand in the strength of the word of God. But the other word, in Revelation chapter 12, you have power. You have power. You don't have to eat that chocolate cake any longer. Amen? Why did only three people say amen? I'm going to tell you why. Because you struggle believing the position that you need to affirm. We know it's true, but we struggle believing it. When you walked into this auditorium, none of you, I watched, none of you checked the seat to make sure it would hold you. You have faith in that chair, and you just sat right down. You believed it, and you sat in it. Why is it that sometimes we have more faith in the chair than we do in the God that says you have the power to put off the old man and put on the new? 
church, don't just believe it, act in it. You have power to overcome the enemy, your flesh, and the world. Operate in the affirmation of your position in Jesus Christ. But I want you to see something else. Take a look at Jesus in Mark chapter 15, verse 3. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again. And he says, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. Hey, gang, when our enemy stirs up controversy, he stood still in tranquility. Nothing moved him. It was like a force field was around him. You see, Mark doesn't record all of the accusations because I'm sure that they were endless being, that were being hurled at Jesus. But Jesus stood in peace in front of them. He would not let anything move him from the peace of God, which transcends understanding. And I'm going to tell you why. Paul, taking a look at this moment in the life of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says in Ephesians chapter 6, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. This is the evil day that Jesus was made for. And the Bible says, and having done all, to stand. In other words, stand like Jesus. Above, verse 16, above all. Taking the shield of faith. Now let me put that for you Star Wars and Trekkie fans. Put a force field of faith around you. The shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Here Jesus is in the courtroom. And the enemy was just firing darts at Jesus. But every single time, no matter what accusation they charged Jesus with, it hit his force field of faith and they just were quenched. Quenched. Nothing stuck. Now, I'm sure some of you have seen Lord of the Rings. You remember? The archers would light the flame of their arrow, and then it was a flaming tip, and they'll pull back just like this, release the string, and the arrow of flame goes firing into the opposition stronghold. And the goal is that it lands somewhere that it can catch fire and it can burn the stronghold down. But the shield of faith, the force field of faith, it supernaturally quenches the fire. And let me tell you why Jesus was surrounded by a supernatural shield of faith. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Jesus was going to the cross by the direction of God, and he believed it, and he stood in the peace of it. But I need you to let you know something about the force field of faith. The force field of faith is not just a defensive weapon. It actually is an offensive weapon. The force field of faith allows you to move forward and to advance your position. Jesus is not on the defense. Jesus is actually on the offense. Let me tell you why. No one was taking Jesus to the cross. He was marching forward to it because he loves each and every single one of us. Nobody was taking his life. He was laying his life down. That's just what Jesus was doing. And when we put the shield of faith around us and we dig into the word of God, we can move forward for our goal. And our goal is that we are marching towards looking more and more like Jesus each and every day. Day. And as Pilate looked at Jesus quenching these darts, and he looked at Jesus in his silent tranquility, he asked a question Do you answer nothing? You see, defense for the enemy, defense is only gasoline to the enemy's darts. When you've got to start explaining yourself and you've got to start using words like I swear and over my mother's grave and you start adding all of this flavor and flair to try to prove your point and defend yourself, all it does is ignite you. And we've got to be careful that we don't let anything light us up to get angry or frustrated because we're going to lose our testimony and people are watching us. 
You see, the enemy loves to stir us up. He loves to move us from the place of peace that we have in Christ. That's just what the enemy does. Jesus said in John chapter 14, peace I leave you. I'm giving you peace. Now, that's a truth that you should stand in, put the force field around you, and purpose to stand on the ground by lifting up this shield of faith. I want to tell you what that looks like. Do what the Word says when Satan tempts you not to. Do what the Word says when the world wants to lure you astray. And I know she's pretty, but she doesn't know Jesus. and She's going to take you away from what's true. Don't do what the Word says. Sorry, do what the Word says when your flesh cries out to be satisfied. Don't go the way of the enemy. Don't go the way of the world. And don't go the way of your flesh. And let me tell you why. People are watching you just like Pilate was watching Jesus. And Pilate marveled. He couldn't believe how different Jesus was. He was struck with admiration. He's blown away at the good works and way of Jesus. And that's our direction. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men in the midst of your trial, no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, let it so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I'll give you a scenario. You go to work tomorrow. You walk into the break room. And everyone's talking about your boss because he or she is evil. And they are slandering and they are gossiping about your boss. And your boss has hurt you. So when you walk in that break room and they say, well, he has just got to go. You are so tempted. You want to just, well, let me tell you what he did to me. But instead, you hear all this gossip, you hear all this slander, and though your, your slander, and though your flesh is crying to be involved, you turn and you walk away. The next day, you find out that the boss heard about the gossip and slander and fired four of the five people that were there. The fifth person comes into your office and goes, hey, I noticed yesterday that, well, you didn't get fired because you walked away. Like, but I know the boss has been mean to you. But you seem to love the boss. Like, you serve him or her with everything you've got, and I'm just, like, amazed by it. Like, why are you like this? And there you are. Tap, 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 tapping. And you stop and you look, and because you're a great Christian employee, you say, I would love to tell you now, but we're not on break yet. And because I'm a Christian... I would love to meet you at break because I want to honor our boss and I want to use the time that he pays me to work really hard. But then I'll meet you at break and I'll tell you why I'm so different. Oh, then you go to the break room like a good Christian and you tell them all about Jesus. And they say, well, where can I learn about Jesus? I've been watching you. And you say, come to Calvary Chapel, South Bay. You'll get saved. (laughs) Actually... You can just tell them about Jesus right there in the break room. The boss isn't paying you for that break. That's why he gives you a break. Now, here's the truth. Pilate looks on and is amazed that Jesus is different. He marvels over it. That's why Jesus said, when they see your good works, not hear your mouth. When they see your good works, they'll glorify God. Someone's going to get saved because you choose to be like Jesus. You choose to be different. Take a look at Mark chapter 15, verse 6. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them. Whomever they requested, verse 7. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. In other words, he was to be be executed that day. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, 
do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He's trying to help Jesus out. For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out, Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? Pilate knows he's not guilty. But they cried out all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. The crowd wanted Barabbas. He was a rebel. He killed a Roman. They hated the Romans. He releases Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus, and he had scourged and he had him scourged him, and then to be crucified. If you're taking note, when our enemy comes on like a tidal wave, Jesus remains strong like a rock that would not move. Even when it didn't seem right, he remained strong. Barabbas, it means son of the father. And when his mom and dad were naming him, they named him Barabbas to identify him with the Hebrew nation. He's a son of Abraham. He's a son of the father of faith. He is a Jew. And his name represents that Jesus was not only physically delivering him, Jesus was trying to spiritually deliver the entire nation. All of the children of Abraham is what Jesus was doing. Pilate, he knows that Jesus is innocent. And so he offers a murderer. Luke tells us he was also a thief. And he's trying to get Jesus to a place where, listen, this is the king of the Jews. Don't you want him? Don't you want your own national pride? I mean, why would you kill an innocent man? And we got to give Pilate some credit. Because he at least recognizes that Jesus is innocent. But Pilate, he cared more about the world than he did about Jesus. He cared more about his position, his power, his prominence, and his pocketbook. Because the Jews looked at him and said, if you're a friend of this man, you're no friend of Caesar's. And we know, Pilate, one more strike and you're out. You see, Pilate was not just simply gratifying the crowd. Pilate cared more about the world than he did about Jesus. And this makes Pilate just as guilty as the Jews. Come on. This isn't right. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was a thief. This isn't right. I mean, Jesus, he fed 5,000 people. He healed the lame, caused the blind to see. He was a good guy. He was kind. He was gentle. I mean, Jesus is going to die, and Barabbas is going to be set free. This isn't right. But what I want you to notice is when the wave of injustice struck, Jesus remained strong. He remained strong. But I want you to see something else. When it seems unfair, he remains strong. Come on, you guys. The chief priests were envious. If this were me, I'd be like, hello, um, I know you don't like me, but you don't have to kill me. I mean, come on, I get it. Like, uh, uh, you and I, we've got different theologies, we've got different doctrines, like, I get it. But you don't have to kill me. Do you guys get it? Jesus is about to die an innocent man simply because the Sanhedrin don't like him. Now, if he was, had entitlement, or maybe even like me, I mean, he, he would have said, listen, do you know who I am? I'm the son of God. Well, if you don't know, you'll know in about two seconds. God, go for it. but not Jesus. This wasn't fair. But he chose to submit to the Father's will for his life. And when the wave of inequity struck him, it wasn't fair. Jesus stayed strong. In fact, when it seemed the whole world was against him, he stayed strong. The chief priest They stirred up the whole crowd. Have you ever felt outnumbered? Have you ever felt like you're the only Christian in the room? Have you ever felt like, does any... One time I was sitting in the airport and the most ungodly thing came on CNN. 
And I'm sitting in the airport and I'm watching this thing and everyone around me agrees with this ungodly thing and I couldn't believe it. I was, I felt like the only person in the whole airport that was going to stand for God. Have you ever felt like that before in your life? You're probably going to feel like that again. Let me show you what Jesus said. It's Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out the few laborers into the harvest field. There's a truth of our faith. The laborers are few. The whole world is against us because the whole world is ruled by this enemy. But when the majority, excuse me, when the wave of majority struck Jesus, Jesus remained strong. Now, how did Jesus stand wave after wave after wave after wave? It's Luke chapter 2, verse 52, and I'm going to read it for you from the NIV. And Jesus grew in wisdom and standing and stature and in favor with God and man. You see, Jesus, from the time he was born, he was going into the spiritual gym. And he had the the prayer bench press. And every single day, he was benching that prayer. He was lifting it up to God. And Jesus... He did the curls of the Word of God. He was lifting up the Word of God to him, and he's lifting up the Word of God to him, and he just kept reading the Word of God. And he was praying, and he was reading, and he was putting the Word of God into the practice of his life. The Bible says he grew in favor with both God and man. That was his testimony. And let me tell you about a testimony. A testimony is built one decision at a time. And people look back on your life and they look at the thousands, millions of decisions you've made and that builds your testimony. So if you're, if you're a dad and I go to your kids and I say, well, tell me about your dad. And they go, well, he's fun. <laughs> My dad's fun. That's great. That means your dad has made decision after decision after decision where he's built a testimony to be fun. Now I go and I say, hey, tell me about your mom. Well, she's got good days and bad days. <laughs> Moms, you've built a testimony. Let me go to your work. And let me ask them, hey, tell me about this. Well, they're a little moody. Some days you just don't know how to approach them. You are building a testimony decision by decision. And Jesus built a testimony by making the right decision at every given term. That's our Jesus. And that's how he stood wave after wave. We'll take a look. It's Mark chapter 15, now verse 16. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole garrison. Keep that in mind. They clothed him with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. Bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. You see, when our enemy humiliates, he radiates from within. I need to remind you this is the Passover celebration. And the Passover celebration was a very stressful time for the Roman garrisons. It was kind of like being a mall cop during Christmas. It's just a challenge. And so because it was so stressful to relieve their stress, one of the Roman guards goes, Hey, guys, go get the garrison. Now let me tell you how many. That's 400 to 600 men. Go get the garrisons. 400 to 600 men. Have you ever seen 400 to 600 men at a football arena or a football stadium? Have you ever seen how they act when their team scores? You ever seen it? Rip their shirt off and you see their blue belly. You ever seen it before? They're crazy when they get together. And here are Roman 
soldiers, four to six hundred of them. They're stressed out, and they're about to beat a Jew. And they tell their buddies, come on. Let's have a little bit of entertainment in the midst of our stress. And they beat him. The Bible doesn't record for us the sounds of laughter from these four to six hundred men. Thankfully, the Bible doesn't record the jeering from the crowd and the taunting of the enemy. Beat him again! Beat him again! <laughs> Beat him again! But it had to be overwhelming for so many. It had to be overwhelming. Yesterday, excuse me, on Friday, I was invited to go to the Pacific Air Show. It's the first air show that I've decided to go to since my brother's F 18 crashed. It's been 13 years. When they found out that we were coming, they discovered that it was actually my brother's squadron that was going to do the show. So my brother's squadron got a hold of the company, and the company got a hold of them, and they decided to fly my brother's old plane that used to have his name on it. His call name was Eleven. And then as the F-18 flew over, with my mom sitting there, the announcer from the squadron honored my mother and our whole family for the sacrifice of my brother. Now I want to remind you, it was an emotional moment. And it took me 13 years to even watch an F-18 fly. I understand why Mark doesn't give us the details. The pain must have been too much. In this moment, this scene, it was meant to do nothing but humiliate the Lord and entertain the Roman soldiers. You see, our humiliation... It's the enemy's entertainment. So when the devil can tempt you to sin, oh, oh, turn on channel 13, you're going to love this one. Oh, there they go, there they go. (laughs) And when the world can lead us astray, quick, turn it on 15, wait till you see this one go. And when your flesh causes you to sin, It's the entertainment of hell to watch your humiliation. It's what they did to the Lord and what the enemy wants to do to you. But in the midst of this, Jesus chose to radiate in this humiliation. Because there would come a point when one of those soldiers of the four to six hundred men that were being entertained by his beating, one of those soldiers, because Jesus was so different and Jesus chose to stand in love while he was being beaten, one of those soldiers would be at the foot of the cross and when Jesus died, he would say, because he watched Jesus, truly, this is the Son of God. And is it possible that Jesus went through all of that tricky situation to win over one Roman soldier? But the story's not over. Jesus, how could you do this? How did you choose to radiate in the midst of so much humiliation? Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you have it in your Bible, you can turn there, or it's here, therefore, we don't lose heart. Christians don't quit. We don't give up. We've got the Spirit of God in us. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man's being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Christians don't quit. Our strength is not found in our physical well-being, but our spiritual standing, our spiritual stature. Physically, Jesus was wasting away in front of the Roman guard, but his spirit was strong. Jesus found strength within, and so can you, and I'm going to tell you why. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And when you feel that you can't go on, Jesus is just bringing you to the place to realize to take from the power that's within you. So when the devil tries to humiliate you, you can radiate God's love the same way that Jesus did in the midst of the trial, through the Spirit. When you feel the world has beat you up and you can't go on, you have a strength within you that's greater than the world. And when your flesh seems like it's one, and you gave in and you ate the cake, the Spirit within you will convict you. And you could go to God, ask for forgiveness, and begin again. It's a great message, isn't it? Right? Here we are sitting in church. No, 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 I'm not asking for applause. Listen, it's a great message, right? Sitting in church, singing hallelujah, you're telling me I can make it through my trials. Praise the Lord. The problem is we all got to go face Monday. It's easy to amen and hallelujah a message like this in church. But the problem is you got to go face your mean boss. The problem is you got to walk into your family situation. The problem is you're going to have to face the devil, the world, and the flesh as soon as you walk out of here. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when the wave hits, I move a little. Now, don't look at me like I'm the only one that moves when a wave hits. But sometimes when the wave hits, we can move, amen? Sometimes we can feel outnumbered by the devil, the world, and our flesh. Like, how am I going to move on? Sometimes we can be tempted to give in and say it's too hard, and then out of our mouth comes, well, I'm not Jesus. I can't do it like him. And that's why I'm glad Mark concluded right here in verse 21. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian from North Africa, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. I'm sure Simon was having a rough day. Can you imagine how Simon felt? He's just a pilgrim. He's coming in for Passover. He's left North Africa. He's got his two little boys, Alexander and Rufus. And he's coming to offer his Passover lamb. He's a Jew. Now, he's in North Africa, and there was no CNN, no Fox News. He probably has no idea who Jesus is, and he definitely didn't know there was a trial that morning. They did it so early. All he knows, he's coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, and all of a sudden, a Roman soldier said, Hey, you! North African guy, come here, carry the cross. And there's one thing he knew. When a Roman soldier soldier forced you to carry their load for a mile by Roman law, you had to do it. That's why Jesus said, when they force you to go one mile, go two. I want you to be different. So he took up that 100-pound piece of wood. And he's walking up that hill by force. The Bible says he's walking next to Jesus. And as he is going up that hill, just as a pilgrim, has no idea what's going on, the misery of that moment changed his life forever. He came in contact with Jesus. You see, Mark points out something that we need to understand Hey, Simon, he's the daddy of Alexander and Rufus. And Mark is writing to the Romans, and the Romans knew who Alexander and Rufus were. I'll prove it to you. When Paul was writing the Romans, he said this. It's Romans 16, 13. Greet Rufus, 
chosen in the Lord. Rufus got saved. And his mother and mine. So did mommy Rufus get saved. But not only Rufus, not only his mom. The Bible says that Cornelius, one of our early church fathers, wrote of Alexander that he died a martyr's death for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because dad got saved that day. And though he walked through the misery of that moment, though he walked through that temporal trial, dad was saved. I know it may seem at times that our outward man is perishing in the midst of a trial, but it is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let's choose to do it the way that Jesus did. Would you pray with me? Our Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the way. And now I pray, because I believe, like all the other services, there are people in the midst of their situations, tricky as they are, and they need the power of your Holy Spirit. If you're in a tricky situation right now, I'm not going to ask you to get up out of your seat. I'm just going to simply ask you to raise your hand. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to turn this thing around. You're in the midst of your tricky situation, just like Jesus was in. And now you see how Jesus handled it, and you want to do it the same way. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and keep your hand up? I want to pray for you. This hand up is just an act of surrender. And as I look around at almost 80% of us raising our hands, there's a truth that we're all walking through something that we needed this word. And so I'm going to pray, Lord Jesus, as you keep your hands up, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give each and every person whose hand is raised the power of your Holy Spirit. We believe greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We know that you are able to give us strength. We know that you're able to give us courage. And we ask that you'd help us press on. Lord, we don't want to lose heart. We don't want to quit. We don't want to give up. We want to stand the way that you did and turn this tricky situation around for your glory, for your strength, for your power. So God, we commit this to you and we raise our hands in humility and say, we need you. Would you just say that to him? I need you. Ask him to fill you with the power of his spirit. And Lord, would you turn these situations around? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.